Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hello, everybody, for another B&E Podcast. Um, I don't know. I never really know how I'm going to start these. I feel like I do them the same a lot, you know, <laughs> something original. I always think I'm going to do something different. Oh, I see what you did. I see what you <laughs> see just what did. did. See yeah, what I, did? I yeah. see what you. I see what so, you're doing. Yeah, because you're still doing it. It's not just what you did. It's what you're doing. Because <laughs> I, uh, I'm copying myself over and over, and I just need to like break the mold. You know, right? Try something. Trust myself. You know, don't don't do what's always comfortable and easy. Right. Man, it sounds like you're wrapping up the podcast already. Yeah, well, that's the lesson, so that's what I'm going to do. I'll see you all later. <laughs> so, uh, um, yeah, so if you've clicked in, you know kind of what this is. Uh, this one's all about. Yeah, what stops us from being original? What stops you from being original? What stops people from being original? What stops me from being original? Yeah. What, is this, what even is this thing called being original? Mm-hmm. What is original? Yeah. Uh, yeah, um, so, like, let's let's... Let's dive in. I mean, so this topic came up um, because you've uh, this is something you've been sort of encountering um, with working with like some of your clients and stuff like that, uh, and and you it started off on you basically were saying to me unless you want to say this um, or I can yeah I mean you uh, go ahead you take it you take sure. it away here's here's how, here's what's happening. So, uh, I'm working with people all the time. I'm, uh, you know, I'm also beginning to develop people, uh, develop their actual writing craft right now. It's just in, cause I'm doing development. So it's all right now. It's all in writing. It's not, we're not even at the filmmaking stages yet of any of that. Um, so it's a lot about figuring out about how to get concepts off the ground that are original and unique and actually have a shot at getting made. And, um, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily the best at that yet. Um, you know, although I think I'm learning as I go, but it's not just what I'm writing for other people and what I'm sharing with other people and my own clients this is a struggle I have myself. And mm-hmm. I think we all do. Um, but basically with BC film Academy right now, I'm writing blogs. They're not, they're not live just yet as of this podcast, but there's a series of blogs that are going to go live. You know, I literally have hundreds of blogs I've written that have not ever been shared because mm-hmm. I've just been building these assets and thinking about should I publish them as a book or whatever. And so um, I'm going to publish a bunch of articles. But right now I'm kind of on this thing where I'm like, OK, I'm going to write a blog every day for like a month um, and, you know, just at least 30 days and I'll see. And then eventually I think what I'm going to do is I'll just write three per week. That's kind of what I figure. But mm-hmm. I had one today. I sat down at the cafe and I went to write it out and I was like, man, I don't want to write this right now. I just don't want to do it. And so I was like, well, okay, what's going on? Um, well, people aren't coming up with original content and like the only movies that are going to get made really are the ones that are original. Unless you have some movie star in there who's going to basically like take a somewhat common story and just make it like amazing because, you know, Meryl Streep or mm-hmm. Fassbender, somebody's in it, right? That's like a big name. But really for up and coming filmmakers and screenwriting, screenwriters, for your stuff to get seen and even read and considered, like probably the most important thing is originality. It's having something new and unique 
that's not cliche and common. Because probably the biggest complaint I hear from producers and the biggest complaint that I probably even have myself in the scripts that I read is they're just so common. They're like, I've seen this a thousand times. And, yeah. and it's really made me kind of look at my own work and go, well, what do I need to do to make my stuff actually stand out or make it original? And how do I help other people do that? And so the blog, I was like, hey, well, why aren't people original? And the thing that I've come to is that, you know, it sounds so obvious once I say it, but, you know, I think what happens is people go to movies for inspiration and then they use other movies for their ideas and their inspirations and they come up with very common stuff because it's already been done. Yeah. And so like you, you don't, so I wrote an article which was essentially about don't go to movies to get ideas or get inspiration, go to life because you're going to need to go outside of what's been done. Don't, if, if it's already been done, like then basically don't do it unless it helps your original idea. That's the thing that I'm kind of realizing. And I think for me, like, you know, I'm a bit of a cinephile, like I love movies, right? And I love watching great content. And the problem is, is because I watch so many movies, like I've seen thousands of movies, right? Um, the things that thing is, is that it's natural that if I spend a lot of time doing stuff, that's probably where I'm going to start to get ideas from. Mm. The problem is, is that if I'm doing that, that's my, making my ideas cliche. So I've really kind of been evaluating, okay, well, what is going on here? I think what's happening is myself and the rest of us are likely drawing from the content we're seeing and experiencing. And so at the end of the blog, you know, to ruin it for you, um, (laughs) is basically our goal is to make the unseen seen. That's what I came to. Mm. And the thing is, is so if you've seen it, it's not original anymore. It's cliche and it's common. So you need to take something that no one's seen yet and you need to figure out how to bring that to life and wrap a story around it and wrap characters around that. And that's really our goal. And the only way you're going to make the unseen scene is do not go to movies that everybody's seen and TV that's everyone's yeah. seen because that's literally the worst place to go to. Yeah. It yeah. Re- like the, it requires you use some imagination, hmm. <laughs> you know, it, rem- yes. it, it demands you, you actually get a little bit creative. Um, but yeah, imagination's huge in all of it. And, and I think it gets, imagination is something that is another one of those things that gets so, um, commonly, uh, undervalued again for a lot of striving artists out there. Um, because once you've entered the world of, of being in an industry and next thing you know, you think that the most important thing you have to do is you have to understand how everything functions and how, and, and structure and, and, and technique and blah, 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 all these things, all, all that, again, all that stuff is great, but all of those things won't give you an original script. They won't give you an original song. They won't like you can. Um, and it's funny. I had a conversation with somebody some time back. They had said, Oh, like I heard that there's like uh, artificial intelligence is like, they're saying artificial intelligence is going to start writing scripts and stuff like that. They're going to, you know, and I'll be able to look at, all of like the, the best scripts that have ever been written and using that data and information, it can, it'll be able to write like an Oscar, like Oscar winning movies. And I was just like, I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe perhaps oh, I, I'd be interested in seeing it genuinely interested in seeing that. But that was something I'm like, I'm really not all that concerned about it because it's like, 
you see people who have tried writing stuff based on just other things, like mm-hmm. other movies, other scripts that have been written. And if you do it just purely by that standpoint, you know, you might have something that seems like, you know, there, there's just that quality to something that's just kind of missing, mm-hmm. you know, where you're just like, yeah, it seems to check all of the boxes. It seems to have all of these elements in it, but it just kind of feels whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause it's just lacks that originality or that heart to it. You know, something that's just like, a, that's unique to, to the person who made it, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's like a, a direct, uh, experience because, you know, sometimes there's, you know, writer directors who do that, you know, they, they write and end up making a movie that was something that's, was literally ripped right out of their own lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but other, other times it's not quite as much, there's elements from their life that they, they put into it. And I think that that's kind of, that, that's a lot of the time, the thing that makes your shit original, mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily right from your life, but there's, there are elements, there are themes, there are, um, there are experiences of your life that just kind of like have been allowed to just trickle in, even if it is something totally crazy. Like if it's a, if it's an over the top sort of action sci-fi film, if there's a little bit of like real humanity that was drawn from somebody's life, it shows, Mm -hmm. I think. I think so too. I think that's where, I think that's really what we're looking for. And I think in most scripts, you know, they have these moments, well, not most scripts, but most scripts that are like even worth considering have these moments of real truth that, you know, you can tell where, I don't know, someone pulled from something unique. Right. And they're not necessarily, I think, you know, you don't necessarily always have that throughout the whole movie. But I mean, I think the thing is, is, you know, film's funny because you need to take something somewhat common and make it original. It's not like, I'm not saying that you need to be like, okay, well, I'm going to make the most original film ever. That actually won't work either because like film's funny because we demand a certain amount of familiarity. Like, yeah, I want to like, I want to see a film that I kind of know what to expect from, but at the yeah. same time, I want you to surprise me. It's like a yeah, dichotomy, right? Like, totally. A, you and, know. and if you go to sort of like, if you go like completely original film, like completely original idea and blah, 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 that's it. Then it actually becomes like experimental film. Right. You know, and then there's a certain audience for that, mm-hmm. but it's not a mass audience. No, it's yeah. niche. Right. And that's, uh, and that's not necessarily going to make a lot of money and definitely not going to get a, like a high finance film. Otherwise people are going to lose a lot of money because niche audiences are great, but you know, if you don't know your audience before in film, yeah. it's just too risky to spend a lot of money on a film. Right. So it's interesting, right? Cause I don't necessarily know the answer of, of how to necessarily be original, but the little nugget that I'm starting to see, at least in my own life and, uh, you know, where I'm pushing myself and kind of encouraging my clients and the people I'm developing to go with is to look outside of what they've seen in film. But at the same time, um, I think, cause I've heard a lot of great artists say, you know, you need to copy because all are all great artists copy. And I do think that's true as well. And I know this sounds like a dichotomy, but like it, it doesn't really 
kind of seem like it fits being original and yet copying you copy technique, you copy the, the, the way someone did something and you go, Oh, that was really cool. The way they did this, they achieved that technically, but you don't take inspiration ideas and copy them. You just take Mm. techniques and styles or, you know, or certain things that will fit, but, but, you know, sometimes, you know, I think you could have a, a, a copy artist who's very original, but they just knew to copy from all the right people and combine it in an original way. Yeah. That's still kind of original. Well, I, mean, I you know? think one of the best sort of, uh, copiers out there, if you're, if, especially if you're a, a film filmmaker out there is Quentin Tarantino. Look at Quentin Tarantino, but he, you know, his, he started off by copying some of his heroes like, uh, Kurosawa mm-hmm. and, um, Sergio Leone and stuff like that. Like in among, among others, um, you look at his influences and, and you definitely see that influence in his films, but you look at a, at a Tarantino film and you compare it with how, uh, like his, the people that he kind of copied from, they're still very different films. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, stylistically you can see some things. There's, there's maybe a, a certain way or, um, uh, there's kind of a methodical element to it. That's that can tr- kind of translates, mm-hmm. but they're not the same. Like a Tarantino film is full of like Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's not, a, he didn't just rip everybody off. It's a lot of people like to say that he's just ripping everybody off. He's like, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not like these, these films are like, I've seen Kurosawa films. I've seen Sergio Leone movies as well. And I'm just like, yeah, like I can see how some of the shots or some of the pacing he took, he took sort of inspiration right. from them in, in a certain, uh, way that they, that they told the story, but they were, these stories are still original stories. They're still things that he sat down, he wrote and things that he had an idea and a vision for. And, and he did it. And he was just sort of informed by, by sort of his, um, his influences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's the right word. I mean, informed and influenced, you know, because I think that in, in a lot of ways, I think the reason why Tarantino's films work and say other filmmakers who claim to be informed or whatever are, it's that they're still kind of like, there's still kind of a tribute. Like, I think the thing is, is what makes Tarantino's films work think what you will about him is irrelevant. You know, obviously he's very successful as a filmmaker. Obviously he's designed a certain style. Obviously people know his name. And I think that his films do stand out. And I think the thing is, is that I think what made Tarantino's films work is that he acknowledges tribute to where he learned from. So he knows what ideas are not his own, where he's kind of being informed and where he's being influenced. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think that helps him determine where his ideas, where his originality comes out. Because I think where a lot of filmmakers and, and screenwriters go wrong is where they try to claim that they invented an idea that someone already invented. And the thing is, is that, you know, I think it's easy to do because maybe you don't keep track of where you learn something. But I think the moment you think you have something original, you should really like go, okay, well, did someone else do this? Like, where did I see this? Where am I coming up with this idea from? Right. And, and really start to see where you contribute that back to. And I think the thing is, is that with film, like 
we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. We're all standing on the shoulders of people who have already built this industry up. So most of our work is going to be, um, you know, informed and it's going to be attributed to people yeah, of the past. Of course. And so I think from there, we need to find our own kind of originality, which might be small, but we need to find some type of truth in there. And that might not necessarily be this new way of filmmaking or anything, but it's just something where you bring out your imagination and your vision and you do that authentically as authentically as you can and not try to, you know, cause I think the, the hubris, the ego actually stops you from doing yeah. the work. Oh, absolutely. And I love it. Yeah. You bring out your imagination and then you bring people into it. You know, I think that I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what I said? Is that basically, well, no, you said, said bring it out, but then I thought, I just thought I'm like, Oh, and then, well, and you, then you bring people into your imagination. And I it's think like, that's I it. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when you look at like Burton, like Tim Burton or something like that, like he, that's exactly what he did in my opinion, you know, yeah. or Wes Anderson, like they brought out some kind of uh, way of doing film, this style, and they brought this imagination and they got, let us be a part of it. And I think that's kind of, I don't think every film needs to do that, but you know, they, seem to like to make films with that particular style, right? Yeah. You know, how many films were copied by, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, why? It's just, was on the tip of my tongue, but now I'm forgetting it. Um, Guy Ritchie, like how many people copied Guy Ritchie afterwards? Oh yeah. And yeah. you know, and the problem is, is that everybody's doing this, so introduce the character and it's and like fucking name and like people did this. Right. And the problem is, is like you start doing that. It was cool when he did it, but now it's not cool anymore because now everybody's doing it, right? Like it's, it's like depreciating in value. Yeah. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, it's especially when you get into some of those genres and stuff as well, you know, it's like, it's so easy to just, um, and I think I just, I think this happens all the time through in, in so many different forms, not just if you're a filmmaker, but for actors or, or I, musicians or whatever, you know, you strip a piece of like, of work down into its components and you say, Oh, this is what they did. Ba, 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 ba. Right. And it's like, but that's not what they did. You know, it's like, that's not really what they did. There was a whole cohesive image hmm. that, that made those components necessary. Right. You know what I mean? Like it's, but that's not what the film was. The film is not those little bits and pieces. Right. It was one thing. You're looking at it as a bunch of these little pieces. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where people start to go wrong is they lose sight of a whole cohesive vision of something. And they just start to look at, you know, they start to like look at a, a thing as a bunch of chopped up pieces. Right. Right. And then they just kind of stick them all together, you know, and you're like, why the hell isn't, you know, this shit sticking together mm-hmm. or how come this looks weird? And it's just like, well, it's because none of it has been cohesively informed. Right. Yeah. You know, I find like, uh, with comedies sometimes, like I had a, a client very early on and she made a film and it's actually really funny. And she used essentially the guy Ritchie strategy where she had a lot of characters. So the way that they introduced them all was freeze the frame on something funny, show their name, but it was a comedy. And because it was a comedy, you kind of, it's a little tongue in cheek. It like, it's kind of like we're making this kind of like, it's very clearly the guy Ritchie style, but it's not like kind of works because it's almost making a mockery of the style. Yeah. And so in that respect, it can work. So I think like sometimes people can, 
you know, I think it's when people, you know what I think it is, man? I think it's when people take themselves too seriously and it's the hubris and ego when you copy without tribute. I think that's really where people go wrong because like, you know, I've, I've studied, I've been studying more and more filmmakers, but I've studied a lot of Tarantino. I mean, I don't know what's a lot. I'm sure there's people who studied more than me, but one thing Tarantino always says is like, watch a lot of movies, make a lot of movies, like basically. Right. And the thing is, is he talks about where he got his inspiration from. He talks about the filmmakers he respects. Mm -hmm. I think the thing is, is that, you know, if you're a filmmaker and you want to kind of steal from the greats, you know, you can call it borrowing, call it stealing, whatever, do so with tribute, do so with acknowledgement of where you're getting it from and understand the fact that that's not what makes your film original, but that's a tool you're using because they did it and it worked. But you, if you just are going and copying everything and you're taking yourself too seriously, I think it immediately starts to become very cliche. It starts to become something that, you know, it just becomes too common, too predictable, too like, um, you know, you know, and the other thing too, is like, not just in filmmaking, but in screenwriting too, right? Like the thing is, is that, um, you know, it's an interesting thing with screenwriting right now, especially because with all these visual effects and and the stuff that that are happening, like digitally, like how do you sometimes express in a script what you actually want the audience to see? Right. And, and that can be a real challenge. And I think the thing is, is that, you know, you, you need to kind of, you need to kind of play a little bit. You need to try some stuff out and, and kind of, I think you need to get into these action scenes or these things and you need to get into it with a sense of wonder, like what could happen as opposed to like, I know what's going to happen because like, if you just went and saw the most recent like action hero movies and you're writing sequences that resemble those, it's boring. It's just boring because we just saw it in the theater. Like that's not interesting anymore. At least not right now, maybe in 10, 15 years, it will be again, but right now it's not. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, is if you look at Tarantino, he doesn't copy people from his immediate past. He copies people from like a decade or two before him or decades before him. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, those styles, nobody's making movies like this anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Cause those styles have kind of gone out of date. And so they're new again. That's, that's the beautiful thing about film is that ideas become new after like 10 or 15 years or 20 years. Yeah. Right. So I mean, look how many Spider-Mans they remade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, one of the, the more, uh, recent ish remakes that, oh, I, I haven't seen the new, new one now cause it st- suddenly became fashionable again, but, um, Peter Jackson's, uh, King Kong movie. Okay. I thought that it was a great film and like what a time to resurrect something like that. You know, the, the classic King Kong movie, it's just like, it's so old, you know? And yeah, of course people will still appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, for there's like, it's been such a long time since that story has been told. There's entire generations of people who are unfamiliar with it. Right. Right. And you, and, and he did a terrific job of paying tribute, not just, I thought to, to the original movie, but to that whole B movie genre, Mm. but while also kind of putting his own stamp on it, I thought it was actually quite really, it was really quite well done. Mm. Just thinking about it. I'm like, I'd like to watch that again. Actually, (laughs) It was a lot. It was so much fun. Right. It was such a fun film. Um, well, yeah, I mean, so we're, so we're looking at all this. I mean, so I think being original is kind of about having what I'm getting into this conversation. I'm not saying that I know the answer. I'm just saying where I can kind of see where, I'm seeing where we're being unoriginal. Yeah. Not like going to say that this is the holistic kind of answer, but 
I want to say like one thing just sure, like go ahead. in terms of just drawing a couple of more examples here as to what we're talking about, because it is, it's a bit of a sticky business. Um, we actually kind of talked about this in a past podcast a long, a long time ago. We're bringing it back up. Yeah. Um, where we were, I think it was something to do with like the difference between like, um, inspiration and ripping off or something like that, okay. you know? Um, but, uh, someone like Martin Scorsese, right? He's used in a lot of his films, not all of them, but a lot of them, the freeze frame. Mm. You know, he would do the freeze frame and narration. Right. And I've heard a lot of people say, like, narration's lazy. And it's like, well, it can be lazy. Mm -hmm. And that's usually when someone doesn't completely understand it. Like, when you watch, like, the Scorsese movies where he's implied, or where he's not implied, but he's um, implemented narration and stuff like that it never comes across to me as being lazy. Right. You know, it's like, that's just the way the story is being told. It was the best device, the best tool for telling this particular story. Right. And he's just found a way of, of using that thing. And I've seen other people try and copy that and they just throw narration into it because it's a stylistic thing. Hmm. Right. You know, and it's just like, but it doesn't have kind of the same. Yeah, they do. Because it, you're right. They do it stylistic. There's almost yeah. a character to like Scorsese, like the, the narration that goes on in a Scorsese movie. Like there's, there, like there's a full character that's being revealed through that narration. Um, and interestingly enough, and coming back to Guy Ritchie, right. Cause Guy Ritchie implied, well, he, he learned probably that freeze frame from, Scorsese. Right. Right. But he had, again, like it was all, it was just a tool that you can, again, you can use or not use, Mm. but it's all about like you as an artist saying like, like, is this necessary for me to do this or not? Or does, does the film or does this call for using this device? I think that's, it's really about being more conscientious about this stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like again, not using the tools and techniques as, you know, a means unto themselves, right. you know, like, like they're going to just execute sort of an effect that just for because you used it, you know what I mean? Right. Um, they're, they're all to be, you have to be so, I don't know. You just got to be more aware I think, you know, you've got to kind of care about what you're doing in a way that you say you have, that brings in your own voice into this. I'm kind of like scrambling around like a whole lot of ideas. There's so much, (laughs) there's like so much I want to say about this that I'm like, I don't quite know where to begin with it, but it it does come down to, I think, having a sense of, of yourself, which we talked about in our last podcast quite a bit. Um, maybe listen to the last one and this one, because I think we're kind of feeling around in similar territory. Yeah. This whole thing about being original, our last one was about taking risks. And I think that they're actually quite related, related to each other. Um, because so much of it has to do with having a sense of value in your own voice, in your life experience and your original ideas that you kind of pop in to your head, like for actors, um, you know, you kind of get a a sense of that immediately, 
You know, you have an impulse to do something and then you, and then you act on it. If you're good, you act on it. Right. Right. And, and you jump on it. Um, but a, a lot of times you, you sit on the impulse mm-hmm. and you don't act on it and usually you end up regretting it. Right. You know, like you had the impulse to do something, something real happened to you and you had the impulse to do something and you didn't do it and you go, shit, mm. I sat on it. And that happens in, in, in the writing room as well. You have an impulse to do something and you sit on it and it's like, and why do you sit on it? It's because you don't trust it. Right. You're not trusting that part of you that's just saying, do this because you're like, why am I doing it? Right. Right. You're like, you're, and it's not the worst question, but if you're constantly just sitting in, in like, you're not getting into what you're doing, you know, you're not really experiencing and feeling what you're doing. You're kind of always just standing on the outside watching it. Hmm. Right. And it's so important. I think as artists that you actually get into it and you, and you, and you experience what you're doing, you experience what you're writing, what you're performing, like to, to feel it in, in a, in a deeper way. Right. And that's when you start to have those impulses and that's when you need to act on them. And that happens when, um, you know, you, you have your, let's say you're a screenwriter and, and you're working on a script and you have this idea, this impulse that jumps into you and it's a little bit different. And you're like, you're like, Ooh, like, like that's neat, but Oh, but it doesn't fit in line with, you know, how Scorsese does a movie. (laughs) So you don't, you don't put it in. Right. And it's just like, fuck, come on. That's, that's what you, it's exactly what you have to do. Right. You know, like you have to risk kind of doing something wrong or making a mistake. You know, one, one, here's the one thing I like with, um, timeless storytelling, which is basically my, my course for screenwriting and teaching screenwriting. Um, the whole course is designed to get you to write the actual script in a month. So like the whole first half of the course is let's talk about your characters. Let's talk about the structure. Let's talk about story concepts. I'm going to, I'm going to basically like, I'm going to go inside your head because I have this tactic that I use, which is going to basically make you realize that there's all this stuff that you thought you knew about story that you had no idea about. And you're going to be like mind blown a little bit. And then you're going to be like, Hey, I got some new ideas. And then by the time you sit down and write, you've, you've shaken up and stirred up the mind so much that people just pour out a script. Yeah. And I always try to tell everybody I work with, and I encourage this to the, to the, probably one of the most, to the, to the highest degree is write that script quick, write it fast. If you can write it in a day, write it in a day. But I basically give people a month, but I'm like, you know, like love lost the last script I wrote, I literally poured out in two days. And, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's the best first draft that I've ever written. Also with the redraft of burning blues, I think I poured that out in just a a couple weeks. You know what I mean? But like the sooner it gets out, the better, because the, the reason this is my theory, the reason is, is that if you pour it out, you have less time to think about and question what you're doing. Yeah. And that's so important. And I think like the thing is, is like, it doesn't mean you're going to be, you know, avoid cliches. You're probably going to have a lot of cliches, but that's what the editing's for. You come and you clean it all up. But the thing is, is, you know, I met, uh, I've met a lot of writers. I've talked to a lot of writers and there's this thing that really annoys me with writers. They want to be professionals, but they want to on their first gra- draft, have a great script. And I'm like, you first of all, you're kind of an asshole because like real working screenwriters, 
like, like the people who really do it, Mm -hmm. we know we're going to have to write this thing over a thousand times. You think you're going to come in and we've been doing this for 10, 15, 20 years. And you're going to come in on the first draft and show us all up. You arrogant asshole. That's not going to happen. But the thing is, is I think we all have in our mind when we started out that I'm the next best thing and I'm going to write this great script. And it's like, your script's going to be shit. And that's exactly what you want. You want to You want to essentially just pour all the shit out because you want to get the shit. It's like purging. Yeah. Right. You want to purge all your cliches. You want to get everything out because the moment you write a script, you see how cliched you are, which is great. You know, and the thing is, is that if there's anything that I've learned with writing is that, you know, the, the benefit of doing this for a long time is after you've written a lot of scripts, you don't you don't write as cliched anymore because you've kind of purged out a lot of cliches. And the thing is, is I think for new screenwriters, the first thing you got to do is write quick. Cause you, you know, I don't even think you should really try that hard to be original. I think maybe your concept should be original somewhat try, but like your actual script is not going to be original most likely. So just get that out, get it out of the way. And then if it's so cliched, you can't even work with it. Literally do a page one rewrite, write it all over again. You know what I mean? Because like, honestly, like this is the best advice I could give screenwriters. You asked me the question the other day, you know, how did I start getting hired as a screenwriter? How did I start getting paid? Writing shit. Like I know it's like, it sounds backwards, but literally like by putting stuff out that was like kind of cliche and risking showing people and also not just showing anybody, but I, I started to learn, okay, can I trust some people showing those people? Cause I think there's other people out there who just tear the shit out of you and it's not good, but that's why it's good to have like mentors and good friends and people who aren't like, who don't have an agenda. But the thing is you got to get that shit out. And then after that's out, then you're free, right? Because you got to kind of like declog yourself. Cause I mean, I, but I think the reason why everybody thinks they can write movies, like who've never been in this industry and the film industry before is because everybody's seen a lot of movies and they think I could write a movie, but Mm -hmm. seeing movies is not the same as making movies or creating movies or writing scripts. It's not the same. And I think that there's this arrogance, like, that's like me saying like, Oh, I saw someone play the guitar or play the trumpet. I could do that. I watched them. I saw how I saw a lot of people play the trumpet and yeah. the guitar. I'm just going to grab that instrument and I'm just going to do it just like they did with, without any of the practice or any of the discipline yeah. or any of the mistakes. Right. And I'm going to create a totally original song and I've never even, this is the first time I'm holding it. Right. I mean, like it's crazy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And nobody thinks that, but for some reason with certain things like, like with writing a script or with, um, or with acting as well, people think that, you know, you can just do it. Right. Well, I think actors and screenwriters and kind of filmmakers too, in a certain way, we all have an advantage over say a musician because we've been living life up until the point we start doing it. So we do have a certain kind of life training in some respect. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Right. Everyone's but, sort of accustomed to a certain exposure, you yes. know, like most people are pretty ex- like for one, you pretty much learn to read and write and stuff like that. You know, like, you know how to, you know how to write something, um, as well as like, you know, we're inundated with television shows and films and stuff like that. So we're, yes, we've been greatly exposed to it. Um, but being exposed to something and doing something are a little bit different, but it's like, we, we do, we have that, we, we do have that information at hand. 
as opposed to, you know, a cellist. You know, how often do you see a cello player play? You know, like maybe yeah. if you saw people playing cello your whole life, you would, you'd maybe have picked up a couple of little things, but right. it would still, like you could, if you'd watched a, a cello player, you know, your whole life, say you, you grew up um, and one of your parents or a sibling played that instrument and you watched them do all the recitals and, and they practiced and, and whatever. And, but you never tried picking it up for yourself mm-hmm. or something, but you saw it. So you would have a very, your, your knowledge of it would still actually be quite basic, mm-hmm. quite ambiguous as to how it was all actually done. You would maybe have a certain understanding of how, where certain notes are found and, and about, you know, how uh, you hold a bow, you know, very basic, but until you've actually put your fingers on the neck of that thing and actually, you know, brought the bow across the strings and started, you don't like, that's when you'd be like, holy shit, I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Even though you've been watching it your whole life. So, but it's, we don't seem to, to think that way about these other, these other mediums, you know, we're just like, Oh yeah. Like it's seems pretty basic to me. And it's like, in some ways it's pretty basic, but then when you get into the details of it, you know, it's, there's a lot of, of thought that goes into it. There's a lot of, and hopefully heart that goes into it that you weren't aware of. Well, right. And I think like, that's the thing is that, you know, um, people need to, we need to be willing to fail. I think that's a big part of the process. You know, one of the other things I'm realizing too, is like venturing down this development exec road and kind of haven't gone far down it. But, um, I'll tell you something that I'm noticing is that there's a lot of writers who are not like they're brand new. They're like not even trained and they're like already trying to get a movie made. And I, and I just thinking like, I guess that was similar to me in certain ways when I started. It's this arrogance you get when you kind of start in this industry. But it's kind of made me realize I'm like, okay, well, for me to develop these people, they have to recognize that they're going to have to make some mistakes and there's going to be some, you know, and and I'm going to have to, it's almost like being a little bit of a parent in certain ways because I'm looking at it going, okay, well, what I'm doing is I'm kind of holding their hand through their learning period, but I'm kind of keeping them on track because I think what happens for people is they, you know, they write their scripts and they don't necessarily, um, unfortunately, and I, it's sad to say, I'm not going to name any of them, but they go to these uh, screenwriting forums on Facebook that are just filled with other writers that don't know what they're doing. And they get advice from, from people who don't know what they're doing and people who aren't working in the industry and people who aren't actually getting stuff made or, or understanding like, how the the business works. Like someone came to me and they pitched a movie that was like not a genre film and they had no actors attached. And I'm like, Hey, what's the budget for this? And they're like, it's 30 something million. That's an awkward budget. Like that's a really awkward budget, especially not to have a name. And like, and they, and they gave me names. They're telling me names. I'm like, well, these people don't bring people to the movie. Like, like they don't understand the business and they're giving me a budget. So I'm like, immediately, I know you haven't packaged this film properly. It's not their fault necessarily. Cause they don't know. But the thing is, is like, it really made me realize I'm like, okay, well you don't necessarily know like what budget ranges are. You know what I mean? So like one of the things that 
that, you know, I'm kind of looking at more right now are like the two to $15 million budget. Right. And the yeah. thing is, is that, you know, there's kind of, here's, here's kind of something for filmmakers and screenwriters and people to think of, think of it like this. There's kind of, when you're writing a movie, there's like a two to $5 million budget. There's kind of a five to 10. And then there's kind of like the, you know, I'd say almost like the 10 to 15. And then there's big blockbusters, which are kind of like up in the sixties to like hundreds and stuff. Um, that little middle period is an awkward period. And the reason why movies get made in that are usually because they have like some kind of name attached. It's this, it's a certain kind of budget, which is a little bit strange. I'm not saying movies don't get made in there, but not as often as they used to though. Right. But if you're a first time filmmaker and you've never made anything before and you've never really raised any capital for you to jump into that kind of awkward budget between 15 million and a hundred million anywhere in there or 70 million, even you're kind of in a weird budget. If you don't have like a, a name actor or someone who's attached with you, it's just, it's an awkward number. And the reason why it's awkward is because to raise the money, like where's the money going to come from? Um, if you do the math on how you'd actually have to raise it, it's just a really awkward place. Mm. So like, for example, um, if you're making a, a $2 million pitcher, for example, right? You could break that down into say like, you know, five or 10 or 20 like executive type producers who are going to put money in. Well, you know, if it's a $2 million pitcher, everybody puts in a hundred grand, you could raise a hundred grand from, you know, but like if you're making say a $20 million pitcher and you have 20, you have to raise a million dollars from 20 people. Now the thing is, it's like, I throw that out there. Do you know people who are willing to put a million dollars of an investment, like into anything right now, let alone a film of the riskiest thing ever? A hundred thousand dollars though, you could be a millionaire or multimillionaire and that's reasonable. But if you're a multimillionaire, a million dollars or a few million dollars is like, that could be your whole, you know what I mean? It's awkward. So the thing is, is here's the point. My point is that people don't, understand how the business works. And so when they're trying to create or sell or market or, or deliver their art, they don't understand how the business kind of actually works and what, what actually gets a film made. And like, the thing is, is like, you know, they don't understand like what kind of movie studios are making right now. Like if you look around, like, look at these studios, they're making action hero movies. They're making um, movies that are genre films. Genre films mean films that can communicate. Doesn't matter what language you're in. Right. Mm -hmm. Not, there are different genres, but genre films are like horror and action and stuff like that. Right. And so the thing is, is right now, if you don't know this about the business side of film, then you might not understand how things get made, but like 70%, like as we speak of right now, of films get make money overseas. It used to be 50%. It actually used to be that in, in America, you made more money in North America from a film than you did internationally. Now it's changing. Now it's like, you know, 30% is like in North America. Now most of it's international. Yeah. So the, so the game is changing. And so because it's changing, here's why it's important is because if you're going to sell your uh, English made movie in Japan, people don't necessarily speak English. They don't understand. They need to be able to see it. They need to visualize it. It needs to be obvious. So if you want to make this hundred million dollar movie, then you need to be able to sell it overseas. Cause otherwise you're probably not going to be making money. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, this is the thing that I'm kind of like looking at from the development exec point of view is like, okay, well I have all these young, great, awesome, inspired writers who want to write, but if they come to me with too much ego and they act like they're know-it-alls and I call them out on their bluff and they don't know it all. I mean, 
and you're and they and they're gonna have ego about it. I mean, it can't work with that, you know. But yeah. if they're gonna be like, okay, and I I share some things about how this works, and they're gonna be like, okay, I get it. Now, like, we can start to work with something here, mm-hmm. right? So my point is, is that, um, you know, you you gotta understand the business, and then from the business, I think you can begin to be, you know, you can begin to have some originality from that. But when you start, here's the thing. You're never going to know how this business, it's a massive fucking business. Yeah. You know, unless you grew up with a Hollywood family, you're probably not going to get it. You're not going to know. And unless you come up with like a real mentor of someone who's actually in the industry is willing to impart real knowledge on you, you're not going to know. So this is the thing. I think what people need to do is they need to write a script in like one location with two characters or three characters and make that interesting before they do anything else. Yeah. That's like my number one, because don't try and do the next big film like just write something that will never get made, but is going to help you like write a good story with some characters. Cause if you can take that and you can write that into, you know, more of a genre picture, there's going to be a nice combination there. But like, I think, um, can you just tell a story of that's interesting with two people in a place? Like my first, one of my first films, not my first film, one of my first films was just a couple in an elevator. It was called between floors and they got caught in an elevator overnight and no one realized they were in it and they had to spend the whole night together. And that was the short film. Mm-hmm. And you know, and it's just two people yeah. in an elevator. And you know what? Um, I somehow managed to make it interesting. I based it on like kind of my ex-girlfriend and I and our fights and how things would kind of start out of something small. And then we, and I just wrote what we would talk about and it yeah. was interesting. Right. But it was true. That was why it was interesting. But I think that that's why people need to start small and yeah. And I think, uh, another benefit to that too is, is writing a story that you just want to write for yourself. Um, something that is a story that is so compelling to you that you don't really care what happens with it Mm -hmm. is a very important thing to do. Yeah. Um, as far as getting in touch with your own sense of voice and, and creating a story or, um, but also like with, uh, like with music as well, you know, I was just thinking, I'm like, yeah, it's like, if you can't like, you've got to be able to write like just in comparison to like a script, you're writing like this big, huge story. It's your first script kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I won't say like, there's no rules. I mean, really at the end of it all, but these are just some things to think about, you know, like, like just some, um, because can I stop you for one second? If it's the difference between writing and not writing, write it. (laughs) that's that's what I'd say. Like, if it's like, well, I have this big idea. I want to write it. Does that mean I should not and write this like other thing or not write yet? Beat until I get, no, write whatever it is you want to write. If you're inspired to write the fucking superhero movie, go write it. Like, I'm not saying don't, but I'm saying like, it's better to take action than not take action at all. But here's maybe some directions of where to take action first. If you're not yet already inspired to to write something. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so music, but so, yeah, yeah, so like I was like, as far as, um, you know, like if, if it's like, you know, you're trying to write your first script and make it this big, huge, massive thing and expect it to be this thing that's going to sell. It's like, you know, you're writing a, a song, a piece of music. I would say it's like, you put that, like, can you make, is that song good with just you and a guitar? Mm. Or is that song good with just you and a piano? You know, like it's like, can't, is it, it, does it stand 
does it stand simply like that mm. as a, as a songwriter, you know, like before it becomes, you know, maybe you have ideas like, Oh yeah, there's going to be like this big thing. And then we're going to have this big synth thing here. And you know, like you have all this big production ideas behind it. It's like, it's got to stand by itself, mm. you know, as, because as for so much of songwriting, that's how, how it all goes. That's where it all begins because you don't have the luxury unless you're, I think there's probably very few people. That seems like a crazy entourage that you'd have to keep with yourself, you know, to like have something. like, okay, I've got this idea. You get in on this and that and that. And I think there's a few people out there who are probably like that. Not right. many, but, but probably most experienced, but most, I think of the great songwriters out there, like this, a song still, still comes very simply, mm-hmm. you know, it's like a melody on a piano or, or on a guitar. Mm. And then you write the song from that place and then you come in and then you, you know, do whatever you're going to do in the studio or with mm-hmm. a band, you know, but you have that thing in place. And that's why you see so many terrific, you know, you see an artist do like an acoustic set, you know, where they are, they're sitting, like when you're watching an artist do an acoustic set, like, especially if they play like one of the instruments, you're kind of getting a window into how that song actually was written. Hmm because that's like probably how it happened. Like they're, they're just sitting up there with a guitar and they're singing their song. It's like, that's where it started. The song that you heard on the radio was something that happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. Right. But so often, you know, you go, it's like, man, I love just the acoustic version more Mm -hmm. in some ways, you know, it's like, but it's got to stand on that, you know, and there's got to be enough to it in to, you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree with you. You know what? I, I think you're right. I actually, I think, um, you know, it needs to stand on its own that, you know, I really, I really agree. Like that's a good Testament to see how your story actually is. Um, because I think in film, it's so easy to hide behind spectacle. It's so easy to hide behind these visuals and these sequences and stuff like that, that, um, people kind of try to icing over poor storytelling with spectacle. And I think spectacle is important in film. I, I think like, uh, you know, I think you do need it. And I think that sometimes films have enough spectacle where we actually get tricked into go seeing that movie. And then we see the story sucks and and we're like, well, at least the visuals were cool, but the story was weak. Right. Like totally. And uh, I mean, and I love spectacle. I mean, mm -hmm. that's, that is definitely part of one of the reasons why I watch movies or go to the movies is, is for spectacle. Mm -hmm. Like I do want that. I want that element in there because, you know, there's someone with the movies to be able to transport us. Right. And spectacle is a big part of, you know, being able to transport you into another world. Right. Um, but yeah, it's got to stand on its own. Like, and I think maybe that's where, what maybe I'm saying in all of this is that whatever you do can like, and especially with like within screenwriting or something, does the story like write a story that can stand on its own, hmm. you know, behind like, Without all the spectacle. spectacle. And then add in the spectacle to enhance the story that that the spectacle can do this wonderful thing for. Or maybe you have this idea for a movie, but you, like, you know, maybe you're listening to this and you realize that, oh shit, you know, most of my ideas around this story I was going to write is, is spectacle. Right. You know, I don't actually really have much of a story. You know, it's more of like a concept with, you know, a crazy fight sequence I had in my head. Right. right. <laughs> and it's like, well, and it's like there, 
I'm not going to say don't go and, and write that, but I would challenge you to say, it's like, okay, but how can, without the big crazy fight sequence, say, say there's no big crazy fight sequence that happens there. Maybe there's a fight, mm-hmm. but it's not, you know, this huge battle that you have envisioned in your mind. How could you still tell the story? What is the story of this? You know, where there is this battle, right? Right. But what is the story? Is that story compelling enough to warrant that big thing? Right. You know, I think that that's, um, you can never go wrong with that. Cause I'm not going to say that every single film that's made for like, you know, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars is a brilliant work of art. There is tons of shit yeah. that gets made, totally. but it's not something I want to say that you should try and bank on. It's like, well, there's lots of shit that's made. So here, here's my shit. I think that's um, putting your standards too low. Cause it, I also think that the people who are writing the shit are like hired screenwriters who are on kind of, you know, they're on call essentially. And like they're talented screenwriters. Like the thing is, is though, like they might not be inspired to write this shit, but they do. And everyone knows it's going to make money. And so, you know, but the thing is, is like, they're in the inside circle. If you're a new writer and you're not on that inside circle, I don't like, in a weird way, you have to like outperform the best, but not because you need to necessarily be better, but you need to have more ingenuity, more originality, more something because really like, you know, I think like, and I think that the, you know, from the studio side, the producer side of film. And, you know, I, I mean, it's a reality. Like there's people in this just to make money. They just want to make money. And so for them, um, you know, it's not really about creating this big original, like long lasting standing piece of art. They want to just, you know, put out some entertainment, make some money, get some people in the seats, watching that, talking about it. And that's what they want to do. And the thing is, is that that it's good. There's people out there like this, but the thing is, is that as artists, like it's not all about the art either. Like we need to figure out how to, you know, do the spectacle and figure out the story. Yeah. Another word I like to say is like substance and flash because mm. movies get sold on flash, not so much on substance, unfortunately. Like, yeah. like the, the, some do at least in, at least in the sort of the the big sort of theatrical release realm. Well, look at Wonder Woman. That didn't get sold on substance. I can tell you that. It got yeah. sold on Flash because she's hot and it was a woman who was an action hero and it looked fucking cool. That's why that movie sold. And the thing is, is that, yeah, there's a nostalgia factor in all this. And what was cool is people went to it and they're like, hey, there's actually some substance here. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you've heard this story here. <laughs> Same yeah. with like, uh, you know, the, the, in a lot of ways, The Dark Knight same thing. Right. But there actually happened to be way more substance than people expected. And they didn't, no one had ever seen the Joker with that much humanity and depth and kind of history before, you know? Yeah. But the thing is, is what brought people and put their seats down, like their butts in the seats was the flash on the spectacle. So we, you know, I want to be in reality because I'm a story is probably more yeah. so like, I'm like kind of an idealist that way, but like reality story and substance yeah. isn't necessarily what gets a movie made, yeah. but it's kind of needs to be there. No, too, I, right? Yeah. It's kind of how like the, the flash is kind of how things are sold. Yeah. You know, but, um, it's funny. It's like, it, it might appear on the outside that that's all everybody wants that people just want right. like, the flash. Right. Um, but the thing is, is like, yeah, we want the flash, you know, we want that stuff, 
but we still expect there to be a story. Well, substance. Yeah. Yeah, We still expect there to be some substance to it. Right. That's like, just like going in. And the thing is, there's nothing, you can never go wrong with injecting more substance into as like some of the examples you provided, you know, it's like flashy, flashy films that were loaded with substance. Um, but don't, don't also be so substance that you forget to put in the mm -hmm. flash. It's a balance. Like this whole show is about a balance, right? But the thing is, is like when you're starting out in some ways you have higher demands than you do of, of people who are already in the industry. Let me explain. When I was, uh, trying out for hockey teams and, and, and soccer teams, when I was coming onto a team that was already established in some ways, I had to almost outperform the people who were already there because the thing is, is like they had an advantage on me. The coach knew them. The players knew them. They had already played with these people. So in certain respects, they had an in that I didn't have. They had a connectedness. So for me to kind of shine above them in certain ways, I had to run harder. I had to push harder. And if there was a lazy kid who was taking his spot for granted, that was the spot I was going to take. So I'm calling out to writers out there. I'm saying there are many writers out there who are taking their spots for granted. It doesn't mean you can perform at the same level they can, but if you outperform them and they're taking their spot for granted, that might be your chance to kind of get that in. Right. And I don't think you should look at it competitively, but look at it in terms of don't compare yourself to a lower standard than you hold yourself to. You know what I mean? Like hold yourself to the standard that you feel and that, you know, like, don't just go, well, there's a lot of shit out there so I can write shit. Exactly. And, not, and, and the yeah. other thing, and I did want to comment on this too, was that it's like, well, like, wh- why are you getting into this in the first place? Right. Like, are you getting into this to write shit, to make shit, yeah. like, like to make money? Like if you're, if, if you just want to make money, there's plenty of better ways to make money mm-hmm. than getting in, than getting into like an artistic industry. Yeah. You know, like there's way better industries with more guarantees and, you know, maybe you're attracted to sort of the lifestyle or maybe getting to meet certain people, in which case I would say, go and do something else, (laughs) make a lot of money (laughs) and then invest in film. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and then you can just like, then you're a person and then you can go to all those parties and shit like that. What do you think an executive producer is? Most of them went off. They did, uh, you know, some type of business. They made their fortune. And then they said, you know, I really want to get into film. I don't necessarily want to be a filmmaker or a screenwriter. I don't necessarily want to learn that craft. Yeah. Cause you're not interested in the actual art of it. Yeah. You're interested but you're in like, the business and, and I want to meet some hot actresses. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's like, I'm not kidding you. That's kind of like people who get into this and yeah. I want to walk down a red carpet. And I want to see my name on that picture. And like, I want to be yeah. involved. And, right? and, and. I'm not to speak for you, yeah. but you know, we're not saying that out of a sense of judgment no. or anything. I don't give it. If that's it gets what you movies want, made, I don't care. Yeah, exactly. If that's what you <laughs> want to do, that's fucking great. Yeah. You know, that's the lifestyle you want to have. But I mean, like if that's the lifestyle you want to have and you don't really care about the art, then don't do the art. Right. <laughs> but you don't have to. I mean, that's, you don't the have beauty, that's the beauty of the film industry. The film industry is a film business. I mean, you can do the business or you can do the art of it. And the thing is, is like, I think if you're like an artist and you're a filmmaker and you're a writer, you're more interested in the creation side of it. And, and you want to have your vision and your image and, and whatever you want to have, not your image, but maybe your image, but you want to have yourself in that part of it. If you're on the business side of it, 
you know, you're just looking at the numbers. You're looking at, you know, making something cool, uh, making something entertaining, maybe, um, you know, living a certain lifestyle. I think one thing that artists and producers do share in common though, is we all kind of do like the lifestyle. I mean, let's be honest. I lived down in LA for a little bit. I got invited to the big parties. I met some of the cool people that are literally in, you know, um, making and acting in these big fucking like action hero movies. It was fucking cool. It was fun. You know, and you can go and experience those to whatever degree you want. If you kind of get into that inside circle a little, not to say that I was that deep, but I kind of did. And so, you know, it's fun. But the thing is, is like, I think, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, everyone just like, take away the judgment. Let's just be honest. Why are you in this? You're in this to make money you're in this to do the lifestyle. You're in this to create. If you're in this not to create, then honestly, just like try to skip that step because it's hard, right? Yeah. But if you're in it to create, then really create. Don't like, you know, don't get so caught up in the business. But like if your creation is based on succeeding in the business, I think you have some value questions you got to ask because yeah. like the thing is, is like, maybe reality TV is more what you're interested in. If you just want to be famous and like, (laughs) I don't know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the thing is, is just, I think if people are just more honest with themselves about what they really want and then, then we can begin to, we can begin to work with that, you know? Yeah. Because like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a funny industry. I don't, I, I have no judgments with anybody as long as they're not hurting anybody or doing anything that's like criminal. But I would have a problem with that in any business, in any industry. Yeah. If people are being criminal or doing bad things, right? But the thing is, is like, if people want to get in there and they want to have a lifestyle, they want to experience what it's like to walk down a red carpet or go to a film festival or go to a premiere or have their name in credits or maybe get some attention from some good looking young people whatever. It doesn't matter. You know, it's, if you want that, it's a great industry for that. If you're going to help get films made, that's fine. I think the thing is, is that if you're a filmmaker, you get to decide kind of who you want to work with. And you know what, just because someone's paying the money doesn't mean you have to take the money, but you got to figure out where it's your integrity, what's your values. Another big topic we talk about on this, right? And the thing is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, the film industry, this is my experience in the film industry. The film industry is like a manual car. It's fucking old school manual. You get the steering wheel, you get the gear shift and the clutch. You're in control of this baby. There's nothing automatic. You know, the, the windows are roll up windows. You yeah. know what I mean? You roll them up. There's no button you push. It's not, things aren't automatic in this industry, which is kind of neat because you can do whatever you want with it. And it's really simple and it's easy to take apart in certain ways. But I think what happens is people try to make it a little more complex than it is. You know, if you want, if you want a job that's automatic, go work for, you know, a telephone company. You know what I mean? Like that'll be automatic. Most of the shit will be done for you. You'll get paid automatically. Everything will be simple. They'll be, you know, all straightforward. The film industry isn't quite like that. You know, most of the people that work in the film industry that actually kind of work in it or, or revolved around it aren't even in a union or, or really the business of it. Mm -hmm. Most of the people that's crazy. Think about that. Like in a normal business, if you went to a job that was like a big corporation, a big fucking business, you would probably have standards and unions and things like people that were responsible, things that were held accountable if you got paid on time or not. The film industry doesn't necessarily work like that. People, um, you know, all the time work under the table or they do kind of things where, you know, it's like the non-union productions and stuff like this, right? So the thing is, is that um, my point is, 
it's kind of exciting because you can make it whatever you want. But because you can make it whatever you want, you need to know your values probably more than another business. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know your values, I mean, you'll just kind of, you'll, you'll be determined by someone who's more certain or who does know their values. Yeah. Right? yeah and sometimes you might be determined by people who have say shallower kind of corrupt values mm-hmm. if you don't have values yourself. Yeah. Right. So what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do when you're out there with say famous people? And I'm not kidding. What are you going to do? And you're at the table or you're out there and you're hanging out or you're at this private party and the cocaine comes out. And what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? How are you going to deal with that? You know, what, you know, are you going to, you know, and some people have a natural kind of way of being like, you know, okay, well, you know, not making it awkward. Are you going to be judgmental? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to all of a sudden start looking at this person? Like they're not good enough anymore because they do drugs and you are anti-drugs and all this stuff. I mean, the thing is, is that this industry takes a certain kind of reality of humanity and it takes a big business and it brings them together, which big business and real humanity don't actually come together very often. If you look at like a lot of businesses, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Because people don't always show their little dark secrets. But the thing is, is that in the film industry, you start getting more involved in it. You start to find out that like the guy who's famous that you've been idolizing for the last time was a street kid who has a lot of bad habits and in fact is difficult on set. But you know, yeah, that's like the reality, big dreams and big business, you know, in some ways coming together. This is weird. We're getting a little off topic of originality. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. That's but it's right. interesting that either way. <laughs> well, let's take a quick little um, yeah. break here and uh, and let's let's talk about this beer that we're drinking. Okay. So my first impressions, because you got it. Um, my first impressions was um, I kind of tasted it. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this because it was kind of a little bit sour. But then, like after that first initial hit, because it was kind of like almost like it's kind of like, you know what I want to say? It's, it's a little bit like, you know, when you think you're going to drink like, uh, like, uh, milk or something and you drink like a Coca-Cola or like you drink something you don't expect. You ever done that before? Yeah. Or drink or eat something that you didn't think you you didn't think it would feel that way or taste that way. That's kind of like the experience I had when I first took a sip of this. I was like, like, it looked like, it just looked like a half a bison or like, uh, like something like that. So I'm guessing that it's probably a, a sour or a, um, uh, I don't know if sour is the word, but there's another one that's like, uh, it's kind of got a little spunk to it, I guess. It's got a little spunk to it. It's got a little spunk to it, but it's good. <laughs> it's good. I like it. I've actually, I'm surprised I like it. Um, cause at first taste I didn't, but the more I have it, the more I'm enjoying it. Yeah. 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 For, for me, when I took the first sip, I went, uh Oh, like, this <laughs> is like, did I yeah. just like get something that's, that we're going to hate here? Um, but then all of a sudden it was just like, Oh, actually this is pretty good. I don't mind this at all. And it's been going on pretty well. Um, so this is, um, I think we've, this is only the second that we've had of this type of beer okay. on the show. Um, but this is from Granville Island Brewing and this is part of their small batch, um, line of, of beers. So it's not common. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This is just like, they, they don't crank a lot of these ones out. And this is the Gosa. Gosa? Gosa with peach. Oh, okay. So, okay. so I, the peach is kind of the sour part. Um, actually, well, no, the, uh, the Gosa as to my understanding itself, um, Gosa actually means, um, Gosa is actually supposed to be kind of sour. Okay. Um, however, 
again, to my understanding, there's, it's salted. The water is actually salted when they brew this. So the salt, and then plus there's the peach in it, helps to kind of offset the sourness um, of the beer. But they are, this type of beer is supposed to be kind of sour. Um, Hmm. So it's, I guess it's, that's why it has a little bit of a, almost like a, a dryness to it. Yeah. It's a, but it's very interesting. It is an it's interesting, very interesting know, group. Lots happening we, with it. Yeah. We've had a Gosa on before an actual. Yeah. I think we had, um, I think I got one from Steamworks one time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say, you know, I'll, I'll give this one a thumbs up. I'd say, try it. Me you know? too. I, I give it a thumbs up as well. And this is not, and that's saying a lot for me because I really don't tend to like sours. So like I do, there's a few sours I like, I'm just very, very selective about yeah. it. There's this one cucumber sour. I don't know who the hell makes it, but it's, it, maybe some people don't like it, but I actually really dig it because it's like a little bit sour. It's kind of got that refreshing cucumber kind of flavor to it. But like sometimes you have a sour and it's just, it's like a kick in the face. It's just like, it's so much, but some people love sours. And that's their thing. But for me, they're, I'm very selective. It's the one beer where I'm like, if I hear sour, I'm like, okay, like let's taste that for sure. Because yeah. I'm not sure if I, before I get a whole glass of this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All right. So, okay. So, um, let's, let's, let's bring this, get this back <laughs> on track. So we're talking about the industry and cocaine and parties and stuff like that. Uh, but so we're, but we're talking about originality here. We're talking about like, like this whole thing about so cliche. Yeah. This parties and cocaine. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Um, but you know, some of them are kind of true. Uh, a lot of them are. Yeah. But I think, you know, this is really about like, so, you know, this question of how do you be an original as an artist? How do you have like, like, what is that even in, and, and we were, we've been talking a lot about, you know, our influences, the things that, you know, and, and we start kick this off with talking about how for what you're seeing is people are being more so inspired by other films than, than from life. Yeah. That's, Uh, that's the number one. I mean, and the title of this too is what stops us from being original. I don't necessarily know what makes us original. I don't know if I've gotten that far, but I can tell you what's not making me original or I think what's stopping people from being original. And I think the number one thing is we are taking too much of our inspiration from other people who have been creative and not enough inspiration from our own lives and our own experiences. And further, we're not going out and experiencing. So like, we're taking like almost hearsay to create. Like if you want to write a relation, if you want to relate a relationship or a love movie, get in a relationship, go experience that. Like, don't just watch a bunch of rom-coms and then write a rom-com movie. Cause I think like the thing is, is that the best rom-coms, they, you know, people sometimes mock that, that whole genre and that whole style. But the thing is, is that the best rom-coms have a little bit of truth to them. You know, there's this one, um, forgetting Sarah Marshall, 
Oh yeah, yeah. I fucking love that film because going through a breakup, I was like, Oh my God, this is so true. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like there's so much stuff where it was like, um, but they took it a little further. They made it funny. You know, I, I wouldn't say I necessarily had a breakup while I was naked and she walked into my apartment and said, I'm leaving you. Yeah. But the idea of that and the breakup was real cause it stood alone. But then you add in the fact that he's naked and you know, and he's eating cereal and shit. Like there's just something about that, you which know, made it so that's, that's, that's that made it flashy. In that's a what it yeah. is. That's the thing. It's like, it's those little fucking things. Yeah. You know, that I think that people that, that we don't value that we think are just stupid or trivial, you know, we don't think that these little things matter. Mm. You know, the, these little ways that we've experienced life, this little thing about when, we, you know, yeah, like when we were just in a breakup, we just got dumped or something like that. And, you know, maybe there was this stupid little thing that we did while we were sulking, you know, and whatever. And, and you know what, that might be the thing that you, that you slide into your movie. You're like, yeah. you know what, I remember what this is like, and I'm going to put this in there, you know, or like, like, and, and then to an audience member, they see that and they go, yes, like, thank you. You know, like that's kind of like the best thing for me as an, as an audience member, in a in a way where I'm just like, I'm so connected to something or something hits me so much as being true and real that I'm, I'm almost like internally, or even at times I've actually gone like, just been, thank you. I've said it like to a screen. Mm. I've been like, thank you. Thank you. Like, because something has communicated a truth hmm. that I understand that I've, that, that, that I know right. that nobody's really communicated to before. And it's, and the thing that's beautiful about that is that it go, it, it connects me hmm. to whoever it was to, to everybody who was involved with it. It makes me go, I'm not alone out here. Hmm. There are other people who understand this the same way that I do. Yeah. We are connected. That's kind of what, this is what art's all about. You know, yeah. it's so much about connection and showing how we're connected. And it's those little things that you experience in life, which are not only original because yeah. nobody experiences the same like life in the same exact way. And so it's by getting in touch with those things, those impulses, those things are like, this is how I understand it, or this is how I see it. This is what I, this is my opinion. Right. This is what I think about. It. And now I'm going to express it through this art form. And you do some little thing that you, you might not even expect it. You might not even understand how profound uh, a little thing that you, you wrote into it. Like, you know, and forgetting Sarah Murder, sitting alone eating cereal or whatever it is, yeah. right? And it's just like, and and that can just be the most profound thing for an audience member. Yeah, you just don't I, know. So it's I agree. It's so much about just being, like, just true to how to how you see something, to how you understand something. That's what makes you original. This is, and that's what makes you risky. As like what we were talking about in our last podcast. It's like you you are what make like that, that thing that is you, your experience, your view, your, your point of view is what makes you original. And when you incorporate it, it's what makes you risky. Mm. You know, you, you know, I'm realizing now as we've had this conversation, you know, it's interesting because you kind of come in, I've, I've, we've done enough of these now where I kind of come in going, okay, I had this little bit of nugget that I feel like I know. 
Like I, maybe I don't, maybe I do, but this is what I want to share today. And this is what I have. Um, let's see where this goes. And the thing that I've realized through the course of this conversation is how originality occurs a lot in almost the mundane, in the, in the simplicity, in the little things. You know, I was thinking about one of my favorite directors is, um, you know, Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, and in uh, Goodfellas, there's this moment where, you know, he wasn't really too into her and he, he, he like, I think he didn't show up or he showed up late or whatever. And she was like, there when he shows up back to his guys, uh, you know, what's his name? What's the main character in Goodfellas? Uh, uh, Ray Liotta? Ray Liotta shows up yeah. and she's like, you did this, you're late, blah, blah. And he's, and then that's actually the thing that brought them together because he's like, well, he's like, he's like making excuses and, and it kind of her fire and all that stuff. It's like, you know, it's just such a, it's just such a, like a young guy kind of thing where it's like, you know, especially a guy with a lot of bravado. I mean, I've done it. I've seen other guys do it where it's just kind of like you fucked up, but you're kind of like so confident and charismatic that you just keep letting it roll off your back almost. And it, that's kind of almost what, and like, he just captured a moment, which I think a lot of people can go like, that's kind of real. Like, yeah, and the you're thing like, is, either I'm like that or I know somebody <laughs> like that. I've exactly. seen that kind of shit happen. Yeah. yeah. And so like the, the funny thing though, is that, um, you know, it's funny because like, you know, just to take this a little bit aside, like a lot of um, women will say one of the, you know, biggest things that they like in men or even casting directors will say they like in, in actors is confidence. But people go like, well, I want to be more confident. How to be more confident? Part of confidence is, in my experience, is being someone where nothing affects you. You're like impenetrable. You just like water just rolls off your back all the time. It's just like water off a duck's back. It's like, you, you, you know, you're, 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 um, you're late for an audition. You don't, you're, you're not there to apologize about it. You're like, yeah, I fucking, this happened to me. I got pulled over by the police. I got a speeding ticket before and everybody's laughing about it. I booked that part. You know, I actually did a yeah. little true story. But the thing is, is we're all laughing about it. You know, we're all like, um, because the thing is, is like, and, and you know, where I've made a mistake in certain ways is when I take shit too seriously and like, I let it kind of penetrate me too much. And I think the thing is, is that there's, I think in this industry too, there, you need a little, a, a little bit of kind of confidence where you're willing to kind of, you know, like not take everything so dramatically. Like I had this one teacher I've referred to her a few times, but I met her in LA, Candace Silvers. And, uh, she just, a, a couple things, she parted a few beautiful little wisdoms, um, in my opinion. But she said one thing, she's like, only actors make life more dramatic than it is. Real people don't. <laughs> and I thought, you know, that's so true. Like real people experience drama and they try to, you know, quell the drama. Exactly. Usually. But actors. Other than the few drama queens that, that, sure. that are out there. You but know, like but actors a lot of times try and find the drama. But the thing is, is like, that's the, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to, you want to like the writer, we make it so dramatic and then in a lot of ways, what we want you to do is make this less dramatic because it's going to be dramatic, but don't do it in a way where it's like, oh, I don't care. That's not, that's not cool, but do it in a way where it's like, I'm going to rise above the drama. You know what I mean? And I think if you look at the people who are the most successful in life, they rise above drama and the people who, who, who don't succeed in life are victims and they're consequence to the drama, right? They're mm. constantly caught up in the drama. Um, but I think like, just to bring it back to my point, I think Scorsese in this moment captured this really great moment where this, these two people, this guy and this girl are 
figuring shit out and it's just like so true but i mean it's a mobster movie but this is an important moment yeah right it's a very real original moment totally and yeah. again like for scorsese it's like he he understood this life he understood these as being real people or people like real people that he'd seen that he knew he right. understood and so this thing unfolds with the genuineness to it, as opposed to people who came afterwards like, oh, they're like these Italian Americans. So they're just screaming at each other all the time. Right. Cause that's what they're like. And it's like, is it? Yeah. Do you know that? Right. Do you know how this conversation goes? Do you know who these people really are? And right. next thing you know, you've distilled people down to like stereotypes, right? You know, and like, and now it's just a couple of stereotypes yelling at each other. And now your movie's becoming just a big fucking stereotype of like a Scorsese movie or of a fucking Quentin Tarantino movie mm. or something, you know, it's just like, it's like, you gotta dig deeper. Yeah. You know, like these things aren't effective because of the, the camera angle that they used or because you know, their character is from a certain place or like, that's not why it's effective. Right. The reason why we love it is because it, there was something real about it, real and original. Mm -hmm. I think they go hand in hand. Yes. You know, you give us real, you give us original. Yeah, it's, it's like, like, it's kind of like when you give saying? us original and you give us something real too. What's that saying? Like reality is stranger than fiction or something. Yeah. Like that? Yeah. 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 It's really true. I mean, the thing is, is like the, you know, you ever go into a conversation and you think it's going to play out a certain way and then you get into it and it happens totally different. That's kind of what we want to see in film. We want to see it play out differently than we expect. But like, like, you know, that people are going to kind of come together. There's what you think is going to happen. And I think as a creative, you need to kind of decide whether you're going to go into that and you're going to actually go into what is obvious or you're going to, or you're going to look deeper and maybe see, like, maybe it won't go that way. I mean, why, why do, you know, I'm sure everybody can, can think of this moment where you thought about talking to someone and you thought about what you were going to say and how it was going to go. And then you got there and you started talking to them and it just went so differently than you expected. And like, that's kind of what film is, is kind of capturing that that thing that we expect is going to go one way, but then it goes something else. And the thing is, is the way it went was reality, but the way you thought it went was that was the cliche contrived idea. Right. And I think, you know, to be a, a creative in a lot of ways, you know, our job is to kind of go, okay, well, what's the obvious thing? What do I think is going to happen? And like, understand that probably the first ideas that come to your mind are probably the cliche ideas because life and people have a way of constantly surprising. Yeah. You know, and I think when you start thinking, you know, people or, you know, things you're in the danger of being very yeah. cliche. Or when you think that life isn't interesting. Yeah. Is Stanislavski, like the godfather of modern acting said, you are more interesting than the greatest actor who ever lived, mm. you know, like it, and it's, and it's a testament to, it's just like how, how we think, how, we don't appreciate how like the mundane things about life or how we think everything is so mundane when there's really so much, there's so much life that's going on in the, in just the people who you pass on the street, mm -hmm. even to yourself, you know, like, like people could just watch you doing like, there's an interesting thing, you know, like I use Meisner work with, with students. Um, cause I love the work, but also because there's so many, there's so many things that it teaches within its simplicity. Right. And 
you get to a point within the work where, um, everyone has to take on sort of like a, a physical activity, you know, that's, you know, it's, they're up in front of an audience or the class basically, and everyone's watching and something extraordinary happens when somebody is really doing what they're doing. Right. Even if it's completely mundane, even if somebody is stacking cards, you know, in a very particular way or, you know, doing like when somebody's really doing it for whatever reason, however mundane it is, we just start watching it. Hmm. You know, when we see somebody really involved in doing what they're doing, right. You know, it's like you, if you got to be a fly on the wall, you know, and watch anybody, you would probably just be absolutely fascinated by the kind of shit that people do right. when they don't think anybody is watching. Right. You know, there's a, you know, it's a word we throw around a lot on this podcast, but that whole thing about trust is so important because if you trust that things don't need to be any more dramatic than they are, I think you start to become a better writer. Like one of the things that I'm seeing a lot with writers too, is there's this lack of trust in their work where I can see them forcing the drama. Um, I could get into this one day about how you can kind of tell when someone's forcing the drama, but it's like Mm. kind of a character says something that just kind of you can see is all it's doing is provoking some drama that like a person probably wouldn't do in that yeah, situation. Just a forced kind yeah, of Yeah. And then it forces a dramatic conversation and you're like, well, this is kind of bullshit. But the thing is, is like what I'm seeing more now is like, um, well, if you just trusted it, if you didn't try to make the characters make this more dramatic, like if you let the characters almost like if your situation basically isn't dramatic enough, then make your situation more dramatic. Like that's the issue. Yeah. Don't make the characters need to fuel it more dramatically. Like I recently saw, yeah, it's, it's covering something up, you know, it's like making something because it isn't there. It's making something more than it is. Yeah. You know, just let it be what it is. If it's enough, it will stand on its own. And that's the trust. You know, I saw, I saw a little, like a, I think it was a student film. I don't know, but, um, you know, it was, uh, shot really well. The, 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 the actors in it looked great. Um, the lighting was awesome. The camera was obviously very high quality. Um, wasn't very complicated. It was kind of simple. They did a lot of stuff right that way, technically, mm. but you know, the story of the characters, um, and just the way the actors were playing it was like, I, it was like four minutes long or four or five minutes long. And, and I'm like, after about two minutes, I couldn't watch it anymore. I was just like, I forwarded through it and I started, Oh my God, it's not changing. It's just like, but I'm like, at first I'm like, Oh, this looks really beautiful. And it kind of actually got me kind of looking right. But then the the reason why is because they're, they're making it so dramatic. They're making it more dramatic than it is. And like, they were so penetrated by everything everyone was saying. And the thing is, is that, you know, I get that actors want to feel I get that we're always trying to bring an emotional life to the scene, but sometimes it's about taking that emotion, putting that shit down and like dealing with what you're dealing with. And also, um, don't take life so fucking serious. You know what I mean? Like that's like people who take life so serious and I've done it myself. I'm trying to get myself away from that. You know, I'm trying to get myself into a place where it's like, why am I taking this shit so serious all the time? Because if anything, I think taking life too serious is like the greatest disservice we do to ourselves in life. Mm. But in art, it's death, man. Like what's much better. I mean, look at a, look at a, say Die Hard, for example, right? 
Yeah. He's not taking that shit as seriously as some people might. That's what makes Die Hard work. Why does, why does Mission Impossible work? Why does, you know, James Bond work? You know, why do horror movies work? A lot of them, people are laughing at the shit. They, they, they like kind of going, ha ha, you scared me. They're scared, but they're like, they're not being like, Oh my God, I'm so fucking scared. Right. They're, they're like trying not to be penetrated. They're trying not to be penetrated. Mm -hmm. When I see actors trying to be penetrated, it's like the most ugly thing in the world. It's like, don't try so hard. That's what's killing you. But you know what? Here's the thing. Those actors just with a little redirection with a good director, with some guidance could probably bring out exceptional performances. Yeah. But the thing is, is that it's that one little thought that I need to, that I don't trust my work and I need to make this more dramatic, which literally poisons it. Yeah. So I think kind of my part, my point too, is like being original takes trust as well. It takes a certain kind of like, don't try and make it what you think it should be. Like, let it be and, and do what a person would do. Don't do what an actor would do. Don't do what the character would do. Do what a real fucking human being would do. Yeah. You know? And like, and just further, like if you're not an artist or you are an artist or whatever, and like, just don't take life so seriously. Try it out. See what happens. You might find there's some pretty cool shit that happens. You know what I mean? You might find that you just become a little bit more grounded, a little bit more present and have a lot more fun and have a lot more fun, (laughs) which I mean, really, you know, that's what art's supposed to be. Right. It's supposed to be pretty fun. They say he or she who makes you angry controls you. Oh yeah. So if you want to be controlled, get fucking worked up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. If you want to be in control, like fucking figure out how to, you know, figure out how to like, you know, not let things fucking agitate you so much. Like, you know, take a, take a breath, you know, like I can like realize that, I don't know, you know, I see people that get, they get so worked up all the time. And like, I, I, I looked at myself that was like, you know, fuck, I, I've shared about it. I went through my depression, right? I went through my experience. Mm-hmm. Depression is mostly a product of taking your life too seriously. That's mostly the issue a lot of the time, unless it's maybe chemical, but like if it's kind of uh, systemic of, you know, past events, you know, uh, working through a tragedy, working through stuff, it's mostly because you're taking this shit too seriously. You're just making too much out of it. You need to kind of like, you know, it's not about not caring, but it's about finding kind of the the fact that we shall go on kind of quality, you know, like, yeah, like it's, it's okay to feel, but at the same time, I mean, don't be a victim. I think it's the victimhood of it that makes it not really. Yeah. You know, or like in some ways, yeah, it's, it, that, that's almost, this is almost like a, a separate, yeah, it's a separate, separate conversation. It's a, it's a tricky one, but yeah. Cause it's like, there's a part of it. It's like, well, you know, if you feel like, suddenly you feel agitated by something, you know, it's not, it, yeah, it could be you're taking things too seriously, but you know, by trying, trying not to be agitated, you're going to just be more agitated. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, yeah, you got to sometimes go into things, it, but yeah. I find it's, it's one of those things where it's just like, it's kind of a paradox. Did I just open Pandora's box? Yeah. A Let's just bit. close that for now. Let's close it for now. Um, <laughs> I like how we both did the hand yeah. symbol. <laughs> oh, yeah. You can't see if you're just listening to it, but on the live stream, you're like, yeah. Um, okay. So, well, originality, I mean, what did we come to? I mean, basically we came to that. It happens in the little things. It happens in the unexpected things, the things that we allow ourselves to kind of be surprised by that yeah. are always, they're not so, maybe not so big, like yeah. not like these, 
the big events. Yeah. And the trust of our own experience and the trust of our own vision Mm -hmm. of something and trust of our, of our impulses. Right. Um, those are the things that, um, yeah, those are the things that kind of take you to that original place because, but yeah, I think trust is such a huge thing in, in all of this because, um, I think as artists, it's, it's one of the biggest things we struggle with is trusting that, you know, we are enough, trusting that our work is enough. Um, and because when we don't trust ourselves, that's when we start to get led astray. That's when we begin to, um, look at what other people have done. And that's when we start to copy because Mm. we're not, we're not grounded within ourselves. We don't have that trust within ourselves that we start reaching out to other people and what other people have done to get our ideas from. And it's like, you know, those, those people that you admire, it's great that you admire them. And you, again, you take inspiration from them, but we don't need another one of them. We need you. Yeah. You, uh, and what you do, you, the people who, and again, it comes down to trust again, trust that those greats that you admire, um, that they will, that that will come through you Mm. as well. You know, it's like, you want to do stuff like them. Well, then you're already kind of informed by them, by the kinds of things that you want to create, the the kinds of things that you want to do, the way you see something is already somewhat informed. I don't think you need to consciously say, I'm going to do like, you know, what they did in this one and what they did in this one. You know, that's, again, you're, you're, now you're making it kind of contrived. Your most important duty, I think, is to, is to create the thing most authentically with, with how it lives within you. Right. Tell the story or, or the, or make the song, make, you know, create, create your work in the way that, that it comes through you. Uh, and to have trust that it's all going to come together because so much of, of, everything is, you ultimately have to let, let it all go. All of your training, all of your influences, uh, when it comes down to putting the pen to the paper or whatever the, you know, whatever pen to paper is for you, um, you ultimately have to let it all go. Hmm. Because if you want to be a real artist who had the impact of those artists that you admire, you have to do what they did, which was to let it go. Right. And to communicate what was wanting to communicate through them. Hmm. And so that means you have to listen to yourself, you know, and it's a bit of a mind fuck, you know, cause we all want a certain way of doing stuff. You know, we all want to try and think that there's a guarantee for us to succeed in some way. Yeah. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. This is actually the best guarantee you have. The best guarantee you can give yourself is by being true Hmm. and trusting. That's the best guarantee that you, that you get in this life. And ultimately, as we brought up Rob Reiner many times before, it's like, no matter what happens at the end of your career, you'd at least have made a bunch of work that you really cared about. Yeah. You know, even if it amounts to nothing at the end of it, you say you like, there, there's no regrets in that. So, you know what? I did a bunch of stuff I actually really cared about. Right. 
There's, there's nothing, there'd be nothing to regret in your life if you could say that, Hmm. you know? So yeah, originality is all rooted in, in that stuff, man. I think that's what I'm getting from this conversation. Okay. One of the things that I'm seeing right now is like, uh, I, um, I think, you know, idolizing people can be a problem in that if you think that they're somehow genius and you're not like, they're just like you, they're just like you. And I think that's an important lesson for artists to learn because I think we live in a world right now where, um, people become sensationalized, not because necessarily because they want to be, but just because we live in an industry or time where media constantly is trying to make us have heroes and people, you know, because they make money off of people that we follow and idolize. Right. So, um, I think, you know, as creators, we need to be kind of, um, we need to kind of take a step back and recognize that people have, they've earned their position of recognition and that's good. And I'm glad they got it. You know, we should be glad they got it. But at the same time, we should recognize that they're just people, you know, um, they're, they're, they're people who go through the same struggles. They have fears and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and, and that's important. And I think the reason why that's important is because I think sometimes when people idolize, they think that this person's genius, they came up with something I, and, and they came up with this great thing. I don't know if I can come up with this great thing, but that great thing they came up with more likely than not, they didn't realize how great it was until totally. people started commenting and saying it was so great, but you're getting the aftermath of everyone saying it was yeah. great. You're not getting that when they created it, it seemed like nothing really to them. Right. And so, um, I think if you want to be original, you know, you've got to take the risk of doing something that you don't know if everyone will love. Cause I think by doing something, you know, everyone will love. It's like kind of trying to get the guarantee. And by trying to get the guarantee, you create a cliche, mm-hmm. you need to do something and it may be really great. It may be really genius. It may not be, but I don't think you should either be, Oh, well, everything I do is genius in a certain way it is, but like not everything you do is going to get that recognition, but try to be authentic. Try to be real. Try to bring that because that's, what's going to make it original. And it's not necessarily like, you know, I don't think it's necessarily like just call from life and, and do only what you experienced, but like, you know, you have this crazy wild imagination and like, maybe you had a dream and you, you know, bring that dream to life, make that into a movie, like, like try to play that out. But like, don't underestimate this thing that you experienced as being like, not something that you could do, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, is a lot of, you know, the thing with ideas is they're a dime a dozen. A lot of them aren't going to work out, but you know, you keep trying them and then, you know, something you'll feel like, Hey, like I want to stick with this. So, um, you know, I think like the, the, the biggest thing is like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap it up from my point of view. Here's my point of view. You know, if you're taking your inspiration from what other people have already created, do so only from a technical, like how to like, uh, kind of a, an interesting way in which to get an idea across, but don't do it from the ideas or the inspiration. Don't be like inspired by them to actually create something. And cause that would just be copying them. Don't, don't try and look for guarantees. You're going to have to create something that you don't know will work. That's like my advice. That's how you're going to be original. You got to go try something out that you really think is cool. And simply because you think it's cool, 
you know, you kind of put faith in the fact that maybe someone else will because I think it's, I legitimately, honestly think it's cool. I'm not making it because I think everyone will think it's cool, but I legitimately think it's cool. And I think if I think it's cool, then someone else might. And if someone has already done it, then just understand that it's depreciated in value quite substantially already because it's already been out there. But if no one's done it yet, then you might have something that's really unique. So, I mean, for me, I think what I'm going to kind of do is, I mean, right now I'm kind of tasked with developing projects and kind of like finding original ideas. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to kind of just redirect my attention and start to look at more of the mundane, the simple, the stuff like that, and see if I can find something that's more original in the kind of where I'm not looking. Because I think right now what's making it hard for me to kind of really foster and build the originality I want is I think I'm looking in more obvious places and that's actually what's causing the block. So that's what I'm going to do. I'll report back later and tell you how it goes, but I'm going to, I'm going to try that. I'm going to see if that works. Um, because what I'm getting from this conversation is that, um, it's probably the reason why the, the originality is sometimes eluding me or others is probably because we're not looking at sometimes the most obvious mundane, simple things. That's where the real life occurs, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's what I got from this conversation. That's what I'm going to try and take and run with. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> this one's like, like I'm having a, like in terms of, of an actionable thing, like this is definitely, this conversation has given me a lot to think about for sure. Um, and given me some awarenesses, uh, you could just write about it further if you want. I mean, you don't have to come up with some big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Like here, you know, at the end of these conversations, we're always trying to figure out like, what do we do now with this? Like, maybe this is enough. Maybe it doesn't need to be any more than that. Yeah. Right. Maybe it, I, I'm just, that kind of hit me, right? Yeah, no, I mean, it, and it's interesting because there's this whole, there's a lot of stuff that's kind of coalescing in this conversation. Like I'm drawing parallels to so many different areas, you know, of interest for me in my life with this conversation and how, um, yeah, like, like what you were saying towards the end there of like, you know, the, the, the little things, you know, the little things end up becoming the big things. And, and, you know, I remember, you know, in, in some of my training as an actor, one of my teachers saying, it's like talking about specificity you know, and, and he was absolutely right. Cause as I discovered, you know, when I was learning how to walk into a scene with a rich sort of thing happening, like emotionally being connected to, to everything, um, in order to, to connect to whatever that was, since specificity was, was the, th- the way in, and it was a very kind of narrow way in, but it was the only way. Hmm. And in many ways it was mundane. Hmm. The thing that got me to that place I needed to go was something that w- would maybe be mundane to a lot of other people. But for me, it was just massively connecting. Can you give an example? So it's like, all right. So for example, um, I'll, I'll just say exactly from, from, like what one of my experiences was. So I was trying to walk into this one scene, um, with just like absolute elation and joy just to be like ecstatic 
to some level, right? Just like something amazing has just happened to me. So before I walked out, I, I created this sort of imaginary circumstance in my head where I got to meet Neil Young. Okay. You know, I just bumped into him and then this whole, this whole kind of thing transpired. So I had imagined this whole thing in it. And, you know, I'm like, and as I was like working on it and, and thinking about it and stuff and, and like, I could feel myself like emotionally, like being uplifted and stuff and be like, oh, this is so cool, you know, like, and it's, and it's happening and it's happening. But the thing that got me to like, just blast me through the roof was this one little thing in my imagination, which was like him stopping before he like walked out the door and turning around and looking at me. Hmm. Right. It was just this little action. And that was just like, it just blew the lid off the whole thing. Hmm. So I walked into this scene with just like, I was just right. I was just fucking flying on this cloud. Right. And, and it's so interesting to me how it's like, yeah, like it's, it's these little things. Hmm. It's these little things that when done true, truthfully and authentically, um, not only connect you to it. Cause I think that that's so important hmm. that, you know, do the thing that you like that you love. What do you love? You know, that was advice given to us, um, at AFM from, um, from, uh, Rob Reiner. No, no, no. Uh, Weinstein. Oh, Weinstein. Yeah. Um, do what you love. Yeah. He said, write the screen. Well, he, he didn't exactly say that, but he said, he said, it's the old writer's advice, which is to write a story that you would want to see, hmm. which I think is the same way. as like, do what you love, write a, write a story that you love hmm. you know, do what you want to see. What do you want to see? And when you have that intention in your, in your, in mind and in your heart and you go forward with it and you trust that, um, all of these little seemingly mundane things, trivial details end up becoming the important details. They end up becoming the, the things that really, hmm. really connect you to it. And when you're connected, I think other people really connect to it as well. Yeah. So I, yeah, I guess I don't really have a takeaway other than just, I'm like, well, specific, yeah, like, like be specific, be you specific. Know. Yeah. Be specific. That's what I got from what you said. And, and from what, uh, yeah. our old teacher, Ted said, which yeah. I, he was maybe one of the best people, um, to kind of encapsulate what it means because I had a lot of teachers say to me, just like, be specific. Yeah. You got to be specific. <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck does that even mean? You right. know? And next thing you know, you've written out a page of, of complete, like, you know, <laughs> trivial details, but trivial details that don't do anything for you. You know, you've just been trying to come up with something. Right. Right. Um, and Ted said, he's like, you know, it's specific if it does something for you, hmm. you know, if it, or if it moves you, if it moves you, if it does something for you, then it's specific, or at least you're heading into the direction of specific, which I think I've always found is very fascinating. It's like, wow, it's when it does something to you emotionally, hmm. when it does something to you subjectively yeah. that you know you're onto something, right? Like it's, and, and so that's, um, yeah, get specific. So, so go in the direction of, of, of the stuff that moves you, that kind of turns your crank. Hmm. Yeah. 
You know, I, I can relate to that. I mean, it's, you know, I was thinking about an audition I did where I needed to emotionally get there. You know, it expected that you were kind of in tears and whatnot. And, um, I was actually working with Ted and we were doing a taping and, um, he was like, you know, have you ever lost anybody? Like, you know, whatever. And I said, well, you know, I lost my grandma and I'm like, but I can't, I, I just, I don't know for whatever reason I'm blocked. And he was just like, think about her hands. What do her hands look like? And I started thinking about her hands and waterworks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like fucking like something so simple, but it was so specific because I remembered the little veins and the little wrinkles on her hands and stuff like that. And all of a sudden it became real, you know? And so I think like, you know, this thing you're talking about, about being specific, I think you're right. It's, it's so funny. It's such a little thing that can sometimes get you there. And, um, you know, and I, I don't know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. There's a lot to think about with this one. Yeah, there's so much, but it's, it's, I, I like it. This is kind of almost a very meditative one. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Well, be original people. (laughs) (laughs) That's what we're asking of you. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks.